This is Bucks and Bolts with Casey Hudson. What's going on, hockey fans? Welcome to Pucks and Bolts, an Odyssey original podcast analyzing the Tampa Bay Lightning in their quest to further cement this team as a dynasty and Tampa Bay as a hockey town. Pucks and Bolts will bring you in-depth insight of players, practices, games, and so much more. So what's the best way to stay up to date on all of the excitement surrounding your favorite team? That's downloading the Odyssey app, searching Pucks and Bolts, hitting the auto-download button so that all those brand new episodes are just sitting there waiting for you to listen, share with friends, family, and other hockey fans around because who does not want to talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning, especially at this point in the season heading towards playoffs. I'm your host, Casey Hudson, joined by the legendary broadcast voice, Paul Kennedy. Paul, thank you so much for joining me to chat about your career. We'll talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning and so much more. How are you? Are you getting a little bit of a break now that the guys are on the road? Yeah, a little bit. Our studio show keep keep very busy, but... uh... We came through the All-Star weekend, and it coincided with Tampa Bay's break, Casey, uh, their week vacation. So they are ready for the final push. Uh, they have played 52, 30 to go in the run-up to April, and hopefully, knock on wood, another deep playoff run. I know. I'm feeling good about it, but you and I will get into that in a little bit. For starters, seeing as how you are such a legendary broadcast voice, um, I heard something the other day actually about your dad being in the military, which makes you a fellow military brat. And I was like, I have to ask Paul about this. What branch was your father in or mother in? The Air Force. Both my parents were in the Air Force. My dad did 28 years. My mom did six. (laughs) She didn't really last as long. Um, But I had that military brat experience. And when I heard that, I was like, I have to ask Paul about this because I personally feel like being a military brat played into me being such a communicative person, loving to engage with people, loving to talk with them, sit down, learn their story, learn their history. Um, How did that play out for you? What was your experience like as a military brat? Well, that's extraordinary that you would say that. I'm I'm thrilled to hear that. You're absolutely right. Uh, We lived, my father came out of the generation of the Second World War, and so he was involved in that. That took him around the world, took him to Japan at the end of the the war, took him to Korea. Uh, I was born when he returned from Korea, um, met and married my mom. And then he took us back as a family to Japan. And I lived five years in Tokyo. Uh, He was stationed over there, Tachikawa. And and then at the Pentagon, uh, we lived every three or four or five years moving. And it exposed you to so many people. The advantage of this is were rather remarkable, and you're right. Um, and so the 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 uh, experience of cultures, the experience of meeting brilliant people, about uh, being around aviation, and mm-hmm. was was wonderful. And uh, and then my I can remember on Armed Forces Radio uh, every night that we say and we welcome the men and women listening worldwide on Armed Forces or watching on Armed Forces Radio. It's near and dear to my heart because I was on the other end of that in, in Japan and in other duty stations, and we would listen as a father and the son. And then in D.C. when we moved there, uh, we we watched and listened to Redskin games and baseball games and NFL games, hockey games, and it was my exposure to sport with him. But I think in large measure, uh, it came from his experience and me being like you, an Air Force brat. Did where did you live in the states, Casey? Where did you you live in oh, the, in the states around the world? 
I love to tell people that my family gave me the tour of Florida because we started in Homestead Air Force Base and worked all yeah. the way up to Tyndall Air Force Base. But I mean, we yeah. stopped all the way along the way, um, Patrick Air Force Base. So, so oh, Patrick, so many places yeah. in Florida. Yes, we did Patrick, we did Tyndall Air Force, we did Homestead, uh, Fort Walton Beach. I don't remember the, the base name there. I was about maybe two when we were in Fort Walton Beach. Okay. Uh, but yeah, the tour of Florida is what I got. Now my sister's got Frankfurt, Germany. Right. Well, I was in NFL Europe. Wiesbaden was there. Wiesbaden mm -hmm. was there. When we were in NFL Europe, working with the National Football League and televising their spring leagues um, some time ago, we would go to the Wiesbaden stations. There were so many military, Air Force and Army there, but we liked living in Frankfurt. Mm -hmm. uh, by the way, McDill Air Force Base, of course, in Tampa, yes. is both McDill and the coalition in the war on terrorism. And they have a wonderful relationship with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Their officers, mm -hmm. the men and women there. And in fact, when the, the Frozen Four College Football's Championship Weekend will be uh, college hockey's championship weekend will be held in Tampa again this year for the third time. April. And uh, I want to say in 16, when it was here, the uh, maybe a little earlier, we presented uh, at McDill the Hobie Baker Award to the most outstanding college player in hockey. And we did it at McDill and McDill hosted the event because Hobie Baker in World War I was a the first celebrity hockey player in America, played at Princeton, was an All-American, was an All-American football player at Hobie Baker. In fact, the Princeton Arena is named after Hobie Baker and then was an aviator in World War I flying biplanes. And he shot down uh, three German aircraft in the war and then crashed just before he was to return to the States at the conclusion of the war and lost his life. And yeah. uh, Captain Hobie Baker, but he never received from the French government the Croix de Guerre uh, that, that he had qualified for in being heroic in World War I. So the French government, in conjunction with uh, MacDill Air Force Base, uh, General Carl Horst, General Chip Deal, the, the former uh, generals there, uh, with Admiral Martin of France, they went to the president of France and he signed the order. They researched the order. Had he ever received the medal? He had not. They flew down. Long story is about to conclude. They flew down with <laughs> um, great-great-nephew and we presented to the family in a military ceremony on MacDill the Croix de Guerre from the government of France to Hobie Baker's family. And it was televised on the NHL network at the Frozen Force. So that is how the wow. military and hockey for me and McDill and the Lightning all came together. And it's very special to me. That medal is on display at the Minnesota Wilds Arena, home of the Hobie Baker Award, which is the Twin City. So that's it. I love that that's story. That's fantastic. Yeah, my father's buried in Arlington now, Arlington National Cemetery. But I think he'd be proud that we were made that we made that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you explained that tie of how hockey and the military can be hand in hand. Because as you said, with your experience, cultural communication, all of that, you learn so much as a military sure. guy. And You're that's team. yeah, exactly. You understand so much of that grit and um, and and uh, you know. 
I don't want to say hustle, but character is a great way to put that. Well, Sonia Bryce, the, one of the loudest guaranteed ovations in mm -hmm. Amelie Arena every night. It's been sold out well over 300 consecutive nights. Consider that yes. 19,300 consecutive nights. Extraordinary. But one of the loudest ovations. And when they say, and now, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd please stand uh, and loud and proud with retired technical sergeant Sonia Bryson. Yes. Playing singing of our national anthem. And for her, as her face is shown on the Jumbotron, wonderful lady, uh, the arena roars. The players tap oh, yeah. their sense of attention on the ice. They love her. And uh, she's inspiring and a good friend. And But she's military and has made Tampa her. Yeah. Yeah, At absolutely. There we go. <laughs> Another Air Force one. Um, but I, with you painting that picture of where, you know, military can kind of correlate with hockey and stuff like that. It's funny because when my dad got based in certain areas where there wasn't much going on, they would always put me in whatever sport was active at that moment. So that's where sports became so crucial for me because it's like whatever's in session you're playing. So, I mean, volleyball, soccer, um, figure skating, which is where I first got into hockey at eight years old because I'm like, what is this thing that people are doing on the ice? And it made me have such a large appreciation for the athleticism. Um, but having right. that as your background and preparing for gigs, such large gigs in hockey, how do you kind of apply that background to your preparation for broadcasting and for covering the well, NHL? Like reading too. Well, it's interesting you say that. My father also said, last comment here, I said, Dad, what's your favorite sport? And he said exactly, Casey, like you just said, whatever sport's in season, I'm enthralled by it. Yeah. If it's bottom in football, hockey in winter, uh, I did the NBA for 30 years. Uh, Major League Baseball, enjoy doing Major League Baseball. Um, and the thrill of that, I've done, um, expo I, I've always found people's stories. If they're equestrians, and I'm, I've been fortunate to televise the world championships in that sport or in golf and others, they're motivated by wanting to compete and wanting to be like you and I, getting the very best you could be. We had an adage at Fox and now at Bally Sports, everybody has a story. Everyone has a backstory. Who are they? Where are they coming from? And what is their ambition? And so in preparing for, if it's the Olympic Games or an NHL game, you can see them going up and down the ice, but you want to tell me about that individual. Tell me about him and what makes him tick. Where's Kucherov from? Vasilevsky from? Braden Point from? Uh, Victor Hedman from Sweden? I've always found the the backstories on these people, John Cooper from British Columbia and his path going to law school. I've, I've found that to be just as impactful to me and um, inspiring to me, motivating to me to find that out as who on a stat sheet has the most goals, played in the most games, made the most saves, has the most block shots. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like that story sometimes isn't told enough. Uh, we get so caught up in the statistics rather than, you know, from point A to point B. And that is something that I was talking to Pat about when it came to his 700 game celebration last week. And, you know, he kind of mentioned that it snuck up on him. He did five years in the minors. And if you would have asked him this question a while ago, he may have not really realized that he would hit 700 games in the How NHL. That? How about that? Right. Yeah. And 
it's so beautiful to think that there's so many different journeys in this sport. And I don't think that that's talked about enough in hockey because you've got juniors, you've got minors, you've got the college route, the guys that choose to go to college versus doing juniors, you know, their route to the NHL or the greatest, most Uh accomplished player uh, now in the hockey hall of fame, Marty St. Louis uh, did not play juniors undersized. Uh, his father was a postman in Montreal. He received a college scholarship to Vermont, just across the border, went there, was not drafted, plays in the minor, signs free agent contracts again and again and again. It's it's a remarkable story. And, and he's a Hockey Hall of Famer. And mm-hmm. uh, his number hangs in the rafters. I saw Pat went to see his son when the team went through St. Louis opened up a Western right. swing, beat the blues. He took uh, three of his teammates and they went to see his son play. He, he rarely gets to see his son play. They went to see his son play. And then Braden Point addressed their team. And you can find this online or with Pat's uh, Twitter page um, with his, what Braden Point said to them, I wasn't the biggest guy. But when others would not practice, I would practice. When they were going out, I was not. I was always working. They go on vacation. I went to the ice and I just refused to let anybody tell me no. It sounds at times like it's quite trite, but how many times in your life were, were some, did someone tell you no? Or how many times did someone say, Paul, you, you know, we, we're going to hire someone else and do this other job. You just never, what's the Churchill speech, which is one of my favorites. Never, ever, 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 ever give up. Don't right. quit. There's a gentleman, and his name escapes me. I should know it off the top of my head. Pitchers and catchers are reporting in Major League Baseball this week, right? Major mm-hmm. League Baseball is gearing up. Um, the new member of the Oakland A's radio team, right? Mm-hmm. He's made it to the big leagues this year. They've just hired him. An overnight says he has spent the last 30 years broadcasting minor league baseball. On radio. Wow. Years. He refused to give up the dream. He refused that the Falcon heard the Falconer. He kept Mm -hmm. going. And finally, the phone rings. And I think it's an enriching story. Guys that have played 10 years in the minors and they finally get the phone call, they get in the show, regardless of the sport. I think that is, um, it's Disney esque. And it inspired yes. people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I can relate to that so much just because trying to find my footing in this career and in this industry, you have so many moments where you're like, okay, do you pivot? Do you go to the next best thing? And then it's like, no, but this is what puts a smile on my face. Even on the hardest day, once I get to the arena, I love it. Um, my passion drives through it. What so, do you like most about exactly. it? Exactly. What, what do you like most about it? Do you... <clears throat> Do you, do you like the, the study? Do you like the people, the, the adrenaline rush of, of communicating and being on camera? What, what gives you the motivation to do this again tomorrow? Two key things, the adrenaline. Um, I do love the adrenaline rush of doing so much research and making sure that yeah. I can apply it in that moment. Because as you probably know, you look over so much information and you have to have the wherewithal in the moment of two minutes to get that information out, to know which information is going to hit. 
um, to know how to connect an audience with the information that you're putting out there. So that adrenaline rush, knowing that you're doing a good job at that, that's that's such a feeling that's unexplainable. Um, I've got a chance to sub in for JP Peterson in the in-studio host for The Lightning. And the first time doing that, having Steven in my ear and him getting <laughs> information to me while I've studied, you know, for a whole week for that moment. And also having the teleprompter in front of me, having these three different things that I need to pull all together to give one delivery. There's an excitement to that for one. So the adrenaline has to be the first one. There's the next one for me has to be, yeah. there is. And then you have to make it your own. You know, my process isn't going to be everybody else's process. And it's kind of teaching you to, to trust your uniqueness and trust yourself. So you, there's a lot of self-learning in this industry if you're open to it. Um, and I just, I have so much appreciation for the sport itself. When I first discovered hockey, like I said, my parents threw me in figure skating. I'd been an elite gymnast and soccer player my whole life. So the skating thing was just crazy to me. But the dedication, you did gymnastics? the athleticism. You did, you did gymnastics? Yeah. Oh, I did boy. gymnastics for 15 years. Yeah. That is and tough. gymnasts that is, have that is kind of a similar tough. dynamic to hockey because once you hit a certain age, they're like, okay, are you looking to do Olympics? If so, these are your route options. So I feel like I understand hockey on another level because with my dad traveling to Korea, my mom was a working woman. She did real estate and finance um, for a development company in Miami with having two parents that were actively busy and me being on such an elite gymnastics route by 10 years old. They're like, do you want to live with a host family in Utah or, you know, what are, what are your plans here? And you have to make such life decisions the minute that you hit double digits. And that's something else that that plays in for hockey. No one realizes that these boys have to turn into men by 10, 11, 12, 13 years old because they're getting ready to go away from their families for long periods of time to start working towards this dream that they have no full security you know, that will 14, pan out. 15 years, what do you do? Do you leave mm -hmm. home? Do you stay? Do you go build it with the family? And all there's the great majority of these uh, men have done that. Or if you're living in Russia, Sweden, Germany, the Czech Republic, Finland. Do you come to America as a 15, 16 year old and play junior? Knowing no English. What? Exactly. Knowing Nikita Kucherov came from Russia to Quebec and didn't speak a word of French, much less English, but he's going Russian, France, French. Mm -hmm. How does he communicate? He's a, he's a teenager. And then to learn English. So I find it astonishing the intellectual capacity of these men and self reliance yes. and bravery. And they're just the tip of the uh, pyramid here that has uh, risen that high. Absolutely. And that's the other reason why I fell in love with the sport. I just have such a genuine respect for the journeys that I still feel like aren't talked about as much, but in some ways I can relate. I can understand it. And I'm sure you can. I mean, I went to a different elementary school for every single grade. That's how quickly we you did constantly not. transit. Did you really? I swear. Yeah. Can you every name single grade. I can name. I can. can name all their names? I, I can do the elementary school teachers because they had such an impact on your life. I went to a I can few do the schools. <laughs> Really? Um, ten, yeah, Tyndall Elementary, Southwood Elementary, uh, Lutz Elementary, Lowry Elementary, and uh, I'm forgetting. Is one through six that you were going to? Like, I can remember 
you know, Mrs. Robinson, Brother Allen, Mr. Galash, Brother Allen again, Mrs. Hanson, Mrs. Ferguson, one through six. I I can do that, but I can't remember high school or college, many of my yeah. high school or college teachers because of the disproportionate impact they'd have on a 10-year-old. Um, right. So. And at that point, you're just, you're, you're moving at such a pace. So yeah, that's, that's a lot of the things that draw me to hockey and, and draw me to all of this, but um, kind of touching I back find, on the lightning, I, as I you mentioned. Hockey too, hockey too seems to me, especially in this current generation of the NHL, and I've been fortunate to be with Coach Coach Bowden, um, Ray Perkins at Alabama, George McIntyre at Vanderbilt, Dal Sheely at Richmond, um, Coach Shula in Miami, Coach Dungy in Tampa. Just trying to think here, but and then doing other national programs, college programs for Fox. But having done the the NFL, Major League Baseball for the Marlins primarily when they started. Uh, the NBA for the Magic, I find that the NHL is the last bastion of chivalry that exists in professional sports. It is mm -hmm. still to this day noble and yep. um, old school character. The men wearing symbolically, you know, you can go on Twitter and see it every night or Instagram if you want a fashion show every night is these guys arrive at the men arrive at the rink. Coats and ties to and from the rink on game night, being interviewed during the game, uh, kind to children and viciously competitive when we drop the puck because it's self-reliance as they've experienced since they were 10 years of moving away from home. There's nowhere to yes. hide. You either can or you cannot. So there is no false bravado. There is no body maintenance and of the of the leagues in the nfl it's extraordinarily demanding to the national league because you start in july and you finish in february but of the leagues they are the best conditioned athletes i have found because they do this yes. 82 times as many times as the nba plays and i have yep. there is just so much to admire <laughs> In, in these men. And you can tell that I, at times I'm in awe of, of what they do for a living. Absolutely. And I'm right there with you and kind of bringing that from the NHL to the Tampa Bay Lightning, such a great organization for one and brilliant roster for two. And I may sound biased, but I feel like the guys are on the right trajectory at the right time of the season. What have you seen this season that would basically make the case that the Bolts will have a strong playoff run? Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Well, this year. Is, they're about to just take their last game against Dallas, which leads the Central Division. Uh, George Allen said, the great Hall of Fame football coach, um, said, um, greatness in sport is defined by winning in an arena filled with people pulling for you to lose. And the Lightning did that just a couple of nights ago in Dallas against a couple wow. of afternoons ago against the first place team in that division in the uh, Dallas Stars. They're going into Colorado, uh, having just beaten Colorado 5-0. Um, the last playoff run that they had a year ago, they closed out one of their fierce rivals in Toronto, in Toronto, in game seven. 
If you go back to even 2011, which is almost prehistoric times now, so in more than a decade, they could have won three other cups. This is a dynastic team. And the core is still there. That was the 2011 Game 7 in Boston when the Bruins won the Cup. Steven Stamkos took the puck to the face, left for one shift, came back. But you have that. You have in 18, no, in 15 when they played Chicago. If Tyler Johnson does not break his wrist doing faceoffs, they probably beat Chicago and win that Cup. There's one for certain. In 18, um, uh, when did when did uh, in eighteen when they led Washington three games to two in the Eastern Conference Final and then didn't score again? Uh, Anton Strawman, the, the great veteran defenseman, told me that that was his cup. That he thought that that broke his heart. They could have won that cup. They went to the fire the Eastern Conference Finals with Pittsburgh. Could have won that cup. And then when after the debacle of the President's Trophy and being swept by Columbus. As John Tortorella said, they awakened at Columbus of Sleeping Giant. They went in 21. They went in 22. And they go to the Stanley Cup final last year. And even with a roster that's been brilliantly reconstructed by Julian Brisebois, the uh, general manager, at some key points, despite losing McDonough and Jan Ruda and all, here they are. They are, uh, they're, what, eight, two, and one in their last 11. They are two points behind Toronto. Toronto has not won a playoff series. Uh, there's not a coach alive that has coached them to a playoff series win. Uh, <coughs> this is, here they are poised. They could do it again. They could win it all again this year. Once you get in the tent, and I say Toronto because it looks like Boston will win the Atlantic Division. And it'll be Toronto and right. Tampa Bay right now for the last 30 games deciding who plays, opens the series at home or on the road, they can win at either place. They've got the They've got an exceptional goaltender in Vasilevsky, who is one win off of Linus Allmark's lead for the most wins in the NHL. Kucherov is having a career year. Stamkos, yes. Hedman, Palat, they're all having remarkable years. And the pieces they added at the trade deadline, Brandon Hagel, Nick Paul, signing Ian Cole in the offseason, have all worked out remarkably well. They are poised right now. Uh, knock yep. on wood once again. You might agree, disagree. They're as good as anybody that's going to be in the tournament. And they just defeated Boston uh, just over yes. uh, two weeks ago before the All-Star break. So in Boston, yeah. I think the Stanley Cup goes through Boston this year. That's kind of a Cliff Notes version of it. And uh, here they are. And uh, they have three yes. of the top 12 scores in the Eastern Conference, in uh, Kucherov and Stamkos, um, who's the th who the third will be? Um, Braden Point. Like I Braden can't Point. remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. It's been a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, look at that top line. What you're gonna do? Mm -hmm. You take that top line centered by Braden Point, flanked by say Hagel right now, and and Kuch on the other side. The second line with Steven Stamkos. Um, the third line with Nick Paul, and then Pat, Pat on that line, or the the, the fourth line with Pierre Edouard Belmar with Nemesnikov and and Corey Perry. Those are four lines. Which line do you take off? Who's to say the roster is not augmented 
between now and the trade deadline on the 3rd of March. Right. Um, their general manager and Julian with Matthew Darsh and his staff uh, has a law degree and an MBA, and he has been brilliant. Every move he's made has had the Midas touch, fortunately. So in uh, Julian, we trust. Um, yes. It's, yes, we I do. I think they're poised. I, th I think the uh, the goaltending situation is solid. Uh, the Moose has been all you could have behind Vasilevsky, and Vasi has warmed to it. Edmund has warmed to it. This team is built for the 1st of April. Uh, it has yes. shown that. It is experienced to know. They are built to get to April poised and healthy. As John Cooper himself said, after he had defeated Colorado 5-0, uh, and Colorado just won the Stanley Cup, they're the reigning Stanley Cup champions. He said, neither team was raising the cup after tonight. So you just take it all with a, in a grain of salt. When you move on, big picture, you lose one, you keep going. This team does not lose and has not lost more than two in a row in regulation all year long. Right. So it plays yep. to a standard. And uh, and it's, it plays to a, a rhythm. And it's wonderful mm -hmm. to see. Yeah, they're such they're so good at being even kill and not putting too much emotion on anything and taking it game by game. But you mentioned the Lions, Paul, which is probably one of my favorite topics with this team because every guy has such an excitement and an element to his game. And recently, Cooper put him back in the blender, and now the second line consists of Brandon Hagel and Anthony Sorelli and Alex Kalorn playing together, which has been so exciting because what a show they put on um, isolating guys like Nathan McKinnon in the Colorado matchup on Thursday, and then yeah, Anthony Sorelli walks away with two goals on Saturday. Um, what do you think of this duo, the potentially new dynamic duo of Anthony Sorelli and Brandon Hagel? They well, I would begin. Games. I would begin with the other winger in uh, Alex Kalorn, who I think is one of the okay. five most significant players in the history of this of this current group. I um, and this group's been together for a decade. You know, he's got eleven years in the league now. If you look at what he has done and what he's accomplished, I mentioned the Chicago Stanley Cup run of twenty fifteen. Um, he scored the very first goal in that series. Did Alex Kalorn in a Stanley Cup final? Alex Kalorn has two Stanley Cups to his credit. Um, he has played 700 games in the National Hockey League, a wealth of experience. He has had a phenomenal career. Uh, he is in the final year of his agreement, and people are saying, well, Alex Kalorn will probably be moving on. I don't think so. I think it would be wonderful right. to see Alex Kalorn play his entire run here. Um because he has meant so much uh, both on and off the ice, um, plus his podcast, you know, and jet skiing. and the influencer. What, what, <laughs> yeah. Influencer. Uh, best educated man in the room with a hockey degree, speaks two languages. Prep school went away uh, from Montreal. I'm a great admirer of Alex Killorn. Um, and Nick Paul, just being here, uh, Look what he has done. Uh, you, you talked to Sorelli, I should say. In Sorelli, you know, the other night or the other afternoon uh, in Dallas when he had uh, the game-winning goal and, and an assist, 
a multi-goal multi-goal game for him. Uh, that was the arena where he, he debuted in the NHL, where he came up wow. in Syracuse and had his very first goal and uh, very first assist in the league. And I recall being in the studio in that game and my phone banged and I looked down and it was Tom Curvers, the late Tom Curvers, who won the Hobie Baker in his career, Minnesota Duluth. Uh, Tom Curvers lost his bout with cancer two years ago, lung cancer, but he had been instrumental in identifying and the selection of um, Anthony Sorelli, and it went off, and he was, because we had Anthony Sorelli on. I remember looking at my phone and going, Tom Curvers thrilled by this. I love Tom. He and um, Steve Eiserman were particularly close. He respected him a great deal. Tom had played in the league and law. So uh, Anthony Sorelli, they call him Bulldog, really a great four-checker, fierce. And then Brandon Hagel. Now, we paid him a high price. We gave up two number ones in, in players that were playing well then, um, uh, young guys. And he comes in here. And look what he has done here. Brandon Hagel has had a tremendous year. He's been skating on the top line. He's like Andre Palat was or before him, Freddie Modine in the 2004 Cup run. Everybody remembers Marty and Vinny and Brad Richards and all from 04. But who went in the corner and got that puck, with all due respect to the other guys? Freddie Modine. Right. Who went in uh, the 21-22 run on the top line, left wing? Who went in there and got it? Andre Palat. Who goes in there now and gets the puck? Uh, Brandon Hagel. And you look at his numbers now. Let me pull this off. I'm going to put on my cheaters here a second to make sure I've got him. Uh, Brandon Hagel is the fourth leading scorer right now. And he, along with Kucherov, Point, Stamkos, and Kalorn, have played in every game this year, all 52, have not missed a single game. The other two other guys are Patty Maroon and Corey Perry. And, and Corey Perry, to do so at this point in his career, is uh, rather remarkable. Brandon Hagel right now, 22 goals, 22 assists, and he's a plus 16. He's been tremendous uh, in this. There's other things we can look at, at what he does. In his ice time, he's playing 19 minutes a night in all situations. Yes. So big fan of – And averages four takeaways per game just Well, that's right. He's the NHL See, I'm just I'm right. just addicted to the red light. Who's turning on the red light? No, but you're right. That's <laughs> the point that I'm making. You're absolutely right. Let me give you that number. Let me see the takeaway number here. Uh, if I can find it. Well, I see I see Stamkos with hits. You know, Stamkos has 60 hits. Brandon Hagel there. I, I don't see a sheet with takeaways on it here, but he's got got 40 blocks and 40 hits. But right. he's an all-around player, and, and they acquired him from Chicago at the deadline. And I asked in an interview when uh, Julian was kind enough to come on with myself and Adam Hall, I asked him, how do you identify these guys other than the eye test? Is it all subjective when you go look at players with your staff, you know, your, your uh, team? Is it analytical or is it subjective? And he says it's both empirical as well as subjective. It's, it's both. 
where you run the numbers, you identify what kind of player you need. And he says they begin, to your point, with quality chances against. That's the first analytic they put up. Brandon Hagel, quality chances against. How well does he defend? It's not the pucks that go in, it's the pucks you keep out. That's for this high-scoring group of guys, which uh, I found very interesting. Yeah. I know they're averaging uh, 3.58 goals per game right now. I think they sit fourth in the league for the goals that they're putting up, which if this conversation was taking place in September, no one would have expected this. They were relying on special teams initially, and then they found success on even strength. Yeah, well, and but yeah, and and two, you've heard it said a a billion times, not that I would know, but but I've heard it said to me, the defense leads to offense, right? You you get stops, you turn the puck over, and you're going the other way on an odd man rush. And with this team, an odd man rush is not a recipe for an opponent having success. Um, Can you imagine an opposing goaltender with Hagel, Sorelli, and Kalorn flying at you, much less Braden Point and Kucherov going to that right wall and dishing to the point and back to Stamkos or whomever on the left side. Here we go. We're just rushing right by you. Uh, Mm -hmm. So. So it's wonderful. And you've got a lot of guys on this roster that have strong two-way ability, which kind of brings me to my next question. Has there been anyone or player in particular that started to take that next step in the season, maybe before All-Star break or returning from All-Star break? Um, My particular favorite has been Ross Colton. I think that we've seen his teeth a lot (laughs) as of late. Um, So physical. He's he's getting his shots up there. He just collected his 11th goal of the season last week. Um, Is there a player that stands out to you over the course of the last, I can hear I can hear our founding father and Phil Esposito on the air with Dave Mishkin right now, saying, "Shoot the puck! Don't hold it! <laughs> Shoot the puck, Ross! Shoot it! Yes. Shoot it!" Um, Get I rid of it. Get in, in the net. I like Mikhail Sergachev a lot. I really do. Yes. Stepping forward, and you look where he is. You know, if I asked you, uh, you know, his numbers are almost um, uh, identical to uh, Hedman's, Victor Hedman's, um, yeah. all the way across. They're both plus 12. Uh, Sergey with 36 points, Hedman with 35. Uh, they've played every night. Uh, their assists almost identical, 29 and 31. They, they can kill penalties. They can play on the power play. And uh, where Victor's in his 14th season, here is Sergey still coming around, still learning. Uh, they say it takes 300 games for a defenseman for the game to slow down as it does to experience quarterbacks in the National Football League. But Sergachev has been wonderful. Chernak has been wonderful. Look at look at the envy of this league. Hedman plays with Bogosian, who is another 800 game score, a 800 game player. Sergachev, Chernak. Uh, did you did you think that Ian Cole? when you acquired him from Carolina, would be so vitally important. He's been a rock of stability um, through the first 52, especially with the absence of Ryan McDonough, I would think, back there. He's been there every night and and played very well. And then for a rookie, Nick Perbix. Love Nick Perbix. This time a year ago, he was playing at St. Cloud State. He was still playing yeah. college hockey. Um, uh, so 
to be skating on one of the finest teams in the NHL and playing, what is he averaging now a night, 15, 16 minutes? It's just right. wonderful. And, and just signed an extension, uh, is signed already. It took him less than 40 games to be signed to a multi-year contract uh, by the front office. How wonderful is it? Oh, Nick Herbix, yes. who uh, <laughs> is, is playing with Ian Cole and has the benefit of that. Uh, the experience. Yeah. I like to say he's one of the best surprises of this team because he was just supposed to help alleviate while Bogosian was still healing uh, from his offseason surgery and then turns into the sky. Exactly. Make the most and of your now, opportunities. Make the most yep, of your never give up. Absolutely. You know, that paints such a great picture of where this roster is at, the surprises, the guys that can take that next step heading into the second half of the season or now being in the second half of the season. The guys have three more games before coming back home for a second. How do you foresee this road trip playing out? Back to Colorado, who are averaging three goals a game. Arizona averaging 2.64. And then Vegas, 3.22, which Vegas can probably be the biggest challenge in my eyes. Um, but, you know, Colorado might want to redeem themselves after a shutout on Thursday. How well, do you think skated, the guys are going to close today out? In the, the, the atmosphere the, will be a factor. They found that out in the Stanley Cup final, but they've played there before. Colorado certainly will be highly motivated. They were highly motivated when they came in. We've had some wonderful games with Colorado. Jared Bednar, along with John Cooper, are acquaintances, friends, brothers in arms, the head coach of Colorado. So this would be very good against Nathan McKinnon. I would uh, caution that uh, – it's we don't you and you and I live in an environment so unlike this. Can you imagine getting up every morning and there is an eighty-five million dollar payroll waiting among wow. twenty men to make you have a bad day? And that every day that wow. Steven Stamkos wakes up, there's eighty-five million dollars, the salary cap, and the mm-hmm. say the Colorado average waiting to make him fail, focused on making right. him fail, scoring against that's it. That's if you approach it in that way, it's very intimidating. That's what's out there waiting on them. And it'll be out there waiting on them in Colorado. And then 24 hours later, it's going to be waiting on them in Arizona. Men that are good enough to be paid multi-million dollars to play for the Arizona Coyotes in a 5,000 seat arena on the campus of Arizona State while they work out a new arena. Uh, yeah. Let me tell you that in looking at games that Arizona has played this year, the Coyotes, I did notice that the Boston Bruins, when they went in there, lost uh, just a couple of weeks ago, lost. Uh, I want to say that Toronto lost, but I'm hesitating to say that because I, I don't want to make a mistake. But any night that you have to respect that. So that's going to be hard. And then you go to Vegas which is an extraordinary show. And um, they'll be ready to. Let me take a look at where our Vegasonians, our Golden Knights. By the way, the Super Bowl is going to be in Vegas next year. Vegas leads the Pacific Division, has won three straight right now as they arrive in town. So to your point, um, Arizona has points. Arizona has points in seven of its last 10 games. Arizona is 11-8-2 at home. Um, yeah. So, and Colorado is and in the a playoff. The Bulls are 13-12 away. Uh, this is, I just, there's no nights off in this league, right? There are no right. nights off 
in this. Look at Vassy. The other night he goes down to Florida coming out of the all-star break and he has to take one for the team because they're on the front end of the back-to-back. He gave up seven goals. He had to take all seven goals because you couldn't replace him with Brian Elliott because Elliott was going to have to play the next night. But three nights later, when Vazzy played again, he played Colorado, and what did he do? He shut him out. Shut him out. Yeah, so there are no off nights. You're more effective than you are at other nights. uh, so, but I think every game on this trip is challenging and they're playing in different time zones, uh, right? The, the uh, Vegas game, I think we come on the air at 10 30, 11 o'clock at night. So, um, but Vegas, that's probably lunchtime out there, but uh, <laughs> so, it yeah, is. yeah, with, they're so just getting into the swing of things. Of and then we head home and um, I'm looking forward to March getting here and uh, the honoring the new class of Hall of Famers, Marty St. Louis and uh, Montreal will be in town. Who did they just beat over the weekend that they put six on them over the weekend? We just had another great win, did Marty St. Louis. So Montreal did. Yeah, they did. Who was They'll that? Probably they probably called them. Colorado? Um, uh, who was that? Washington? Uh, you never know. Look at uh, this. Oilers. They put six on the Oilers. Like, McDavid? <laughs> Rice yep. Idol? Yep. Huh? The, the, or they say um, Marty St. Louis Canadians put up That's six absolutely. on the Edmonton Oilers. Martin Louis. And he'll be here on uh, March 18th for uh, the Hall of Fame weekend as they induct their first Hall of Fame class and, and a reunion as well of the Lightning alumni, more and more of whom are living in the uh, Bay Area. Thanks to the good hard work of Jeff Venick, Steve Griggs, the extraordinary CEO, as well as Dave Anderchuk, who has uh, remained not only remained in the community, but really been at the tip of the spear, both on the air, but behind the scenes of bringing all the men that have played for the Lightning, have worn that sweater, bringing them back, making them, asking them to live here, making it uh, very attractive to live here building the tradition of the team on and off the ice. Jay Feaster engaged these players in the community. And if you've worn the lightning bolt one game or a thousand games, like Steven Stamkos is approaching, it should mean something to work in the community. Absolutely. And Brian Bradley actually got a chance to sit with him a couple months ago. He was expressing the importance of that and how everyone who has stuck around the organization, how, this organization has just made it so such a gratifying place to be Brian and Bradley. to want to continue to live. Yeah, Brian Bradley is a fantastic Brad, he was so Our first guy. all-star 30 years exactly. ago. Opening night, he came in here from Toronto and he played with Calgary. And he was a an all-star the first year, a 41-goal scorer. We were playing in the old Norris division with Chicago <laughs> yeah. and Detroit and St. Louis, and Minnesota. It was a fist fight every night. You could clutch and grab. And Brian Bradley had 41 goals, and he goes to the All-Star game in Montreal that year, and his wingmen, his line mates, are Wayne Gretzky and Brett Hall. And the picture (laughs) of him with those men in his All-Star uniform. And then he never left. He took us, as they say in Two Sir With Love, from crayons to perfume, 
from expansion to the to um, the playoffs and beating Philadelphia and the largest crowd in the history of the NHL. That was Brian Bradley, yes. and he stayed. He's still here. Now you mentioned sitting with him in 2004. I was on the charter to the Stanley Cup final in Calgary. It's five and a half hours door to door. I know that because he got the aisle seat going up and I got the middle seat. Okay. <laughs> I did the so don't worry about it. Next time we'll switch boarding passes. Everyone have a fair shake. You get to sit on the aisle. We come back, they pass out boarding passes. I'm in the middle seat. Brian's on the aisle. I go, wait a second. Okay, so five and a half hours we go back. And then we have to turn around and Go back to Calgary for game six. All right. Here are the boarding passes. Passing out the boarding passes. Here's the boarding pass. I look at his. He's on the aisle. I'm in the middle seat. I go, this has got to stop. We see, we see. <laughs> Marty St. Louis goal in double overtime. We win game six in the sea of red. We go back to win game seven. The five and a half hour flight. One guess where he was sitting and one guess where I was sitting. And he always bugs me about that. Yeah, hey, Paul, I got the aisle. You got the middle seat. I got the Four legs to and from Calgary. One of my favorite Brian Bradley stories. That's a fantastic story. You're a better sport than I am because I wow. could not continue to sit in the middle seat. I'm like, I, gotta do it. I, just, I was thrilled yeah. to be there. <laughs> it was great. I'll yeah. tell you that. In the 2004 Stanley Cup final, I'll tell you this before. We were in Calgary, a Canadian team, and not one since the 93 Montreal Canadiens, and uh, we were down three games to two. We are going into overtime. We're going into overtime. Next goal wins. The next goal wins. And everybody is assuming that it is going to be Calgary. The arena is all in red. Everyone's in there. All the sea of red in Calgary. Okay. I'm at the Zamboni doing my little sideline stuff. Standing next to me is Gary Bettman, wonderful gentleman. I'm a huge wow. fan and admirer of Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the National Football League. He has been a friend since 1993. So, all right, we're going into – he is there. The cup is out of the case. It is sitting on the footlocker. Mike Bolt is standing next to me with the keeper of the cup. And the um, the uh, Con Smythe to the playoff MVP – is there? I reach over here because on that con Smythe is a piece of paper that looks like this, and the paper says on it, it says. I remember this to my dying day. It says, "Again, look. It is huh. stuck. It is stuck to the con Smythe. Okay, again, look." All we're waiting for is Calgary to score that goal. All I got to do is score the goal. Wow. The is over. Commissioner's going out. The cup's in the building. Jerome McGinley is going to win the Conn Smythe. And what happens? I hear, ah. Uh, and our bench goes, bat crazy. Rupting. Right? Like the last bad haircut I got. You know, they're going they're going nuts, <laughs> right? And you hear the public address announcer go, Tampa Bay goal by number 26, Martin Saint-Louis. And they're coming down the hall screaming. And I turn, Gary Bettman's gone. The cup, I can see down <laughs> the hall. It's in the case, rolling it down the hall. And the, the, the Consmite trophy, 
gone. And two days later in Tampa, uh, Ruslan Fedotenko scored twice and they win the cup. Dave Anderchuk lifts the cup above head. The commissioner says, Dave Anderchuk, come get your cup. I remember that like yesterday. And the con Smythe goes to Brad Richards and not Jerome again. Wow. So that's what a great memory to have. I mean, I can but, only imagine. But I had to fly four legs in a middle seat to have that memory. <laughs> so all that exactly. to say that it was worth it. Every every bit. And then to go in the locker room afterwards and to see to see the joy, the emotion um, on their faces, to have to see them drinking out of the cup and probably um, I got John Tortorella. It was so crowded and people are grabbing him. And here's John Tortorella uh, for, for the rightfully so a very intimidating figure. I got him in a headlock so that I can interview him. So he doesn't pull away. So I have torts <laughs> and with my microphone, I'm interviewing him like this and he's trying to squirm away like you might have with your puppy dog. You're not getting away. You know, those memories. You're and going Pavel to answer. Kabina, Pavel Kabina, his dad giving me a silver flask of uh, fire water that he had brought over from the Czech Republic to have a sip of to toast. Uh, Solvis, is it? Slovis? And, uh, and, and, and uh, to have... Uh, Kubi, go, Polly, you know, heavy accent. Polly, easy, easy, <laughs> Polly, easy with that, Polly. They were so sweet. And to see, I think, to be honest with you, this is almost, it's 20 years ago now, almost. To see those guys today, I think it means more to, it, to them today, those guys, than it did when they were 25. And uh, I think it will mean what's going on now will mean more to us 20 years from now than perhaps we realize now how special this is. This is a dynasty that we're witnessing Absolutely. right now. I mean, in what other professional sport, the NFL, Major League Baseball, um, the NBA? No, not right now. Maybe the Lakers of the 70s, the Canadians of the 60s, but that's what this is. Absolutely. Wow, great way to put that. We're going to have to bring you back to do a memory lane episode because I have to hear more stories about the experiences that you have had with such legends. But, Paul, it has been an honor and a pleasure to sit down and talk with you and to find such comparisons. Somebody understands where I'm coming from as a military brat. So a special oh, episode here on Pucks and Bolts with Paul Kennedy. In order to enjoy this episode because there's so much to enjoy, download that Odyssey app. Hit the auto-download button once you search Pucks and Bolts and enjoy this episode with special guest Paul Kennedy. Thank you guys so much for joining us here on Pucks and Bolts. And until next time, I'm Casey Hudson. Thank you for joining us here at Odyssey. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company. 